Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. The Prolific Writer Podcast, episode number 99. Hey, this is Ryan. And today, Rachel Heron stops by the show to talk about all things memoir. So if you've thought about writing a memoir, considered it. She's going to tell you why to do one and why not to do one. And it's very enlightening. So I'm really excited to share this interview with Rachel Heron. Let's go. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where speed's the name of the game. Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips, and advice on writing fast, writing often, and writing well. So you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Well, hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast. This is your host, Ryan J. Pelton. So glad that you are here. The podcast dedicated to helping you get unstuck. And to write fast, often, and well in no particular order. I'm glad that you stopped by for episode number 99 because we have a great one for you today. Uh, Rachel Heron stops by the show. And uh, Rachel's been kind of a, a a new friend in the writing world. And uh, I interviewed her, interviewed her uh, almost two years ago. I can't believe it's been that long. So you can go back and check my last interview with Rachel Heron. And she is a professional writer. She's been doing the thing, doing the deal. And uh, go check out her blog. I'll put it in the show notes. And uh, so just some really great stuff. She teaches uh, writers how to write as well on the college level and uh, does a lot of cool retreats and all kinds of cool stuff and writes tons of great books. And so I'll put that in the show notes. But today, we're going to talk about her book that's focused primarily on how to write a memoir. And I ran across her book a few months back because I've been contemplating uh, writing a kind of a somewhat form of a, a memoir. I won't give it all away, but uh, but I ran across her book. I didn't even know she had written a book on how to write memoirs. And, uh, and it's a great book and a great read. And so I wanted to have her on the show and talk us through what a memoir is, why to write memoir, why not to, and it's it's really fantastic. She really gives some great coaching advice on writing and writing memoir. So, so excited to share this with you. Just a couple quick updates before we jump into the interview. I uh, want to let you know we uh, kind of revamped our website and uh, and just had to kind of move over to a, a new platform that just runs a lot better. And uh, hopefully that serves you well, just so you can get to the resources. I just realized how slow the website was and just didn't like the way it was functioning. And so I really want to build out something that's, that's pretty special as far as accessing all our free resources and uh, podcast updates and articles and all kinds of cool stuff. And so hopefully that will be a good thing. And we got, as I've mentioned a couple of times, some courses that are coming down the, the line. And so that will all be there on the website easily to access. And there's gonna be a little member area. There's all kinds of cool stuff. So excited about that. Go check that out. The prolific writer.net also sign up to the VIP list and uh, don't miss an episode and uh, keep you updated on everything that's going on and uh, some other cool stuff with that. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, just go ahead and check that out. Um, yeah, just writing the words, doing the thing. Um, 
working on a couple different projects. I won't give those away. They say not to do that because that'll jinx you. And I'm not going to do that. So I'll, I'll talk about that later. But uh, I'm excited to share this interview, my little chatty poo with Rachel Heron. Hope you enjoy. And I'll talk to you on the flip side. Well, hey, welcome everyone to the Prolific Writer Podcast. It's your host, Ryan Pelton, and I'm so glad today to have Rachel Heron on the show. And I was just talking to Rachel, and I can't believe it's been like, a, I don't know, a year and a half uh, or so before you've been on the show. So she's a second time guest, and I'm excited today to talk to her about her book on writing memoir. Um, because this is a funny story, because I was, I'm in the process of trying to write my own, and I'm looking cool. for, a, for a book to, you know, how do I do this? And then I find your book. I had no idea you had written a book on how to write a memoir. And I know you've written one too, or a few. So, um, so, so excited to talk to you about memoir. So Rachel, tell us just a, one fun fact about yourself that maybe no one knows except maybe close friends or family. Mm, one fun fact. Uh, the, there's this truth that my knitting is not usually more than an arm's reach away. Like right now, here I'm touching. There's knitting right here in my bag. It is a, it's not even a, an obsession. It's just like breathing to me. If I do not have knitting near me, I will immediately start smoking cigarettes again. I'm sure. Of <laughs> That's it. Good. And I haven't smoked in 15 years. And so yeah. uh, I just need to have the knitting always. And is that funny? Like you, you quit one bad habit and then you just feel not that knitting is a yes. bad habit, but it's like, you know, the guy who's like, I quit smoking, but I drink nine you know, sodas a day. So exactly. I'm all good. I'm going to die of diabetes, but. Exactly. I, yeah, I quit drinking uh, last year and, and now it's just that sugar, just sugar, sugar, yeah. sugar. You know, it's the same thing. But yeah. Well, well knitting seems safe. So I, I think so too. <laughs> well, hey, I'm, I'm excited about your book, Fast Draft Your Memoir, Write Your Life Story in 45 Hours, which is a big promise. It Jeez. is a huge oh, promise. You are pretentious. So that's it a big. It pisses people off. I mean, come on. Promise. Um, but what, one thing I do know about you and we're both big NaNoWriMo geeks and kind of changed our world when we participated and um and you know one of the things NaNoWriMo teaches you to do is finish stuff and um at least start stuff and then I started a lot of stuff never finished and then finally NaNoWriMo kicked me around and me too and uh and kind of get you going and so yeah talk just from let's just start there so I mean forget memoir but just in general like writing why write fast why I mean what is there something to that um, when you think yeah, about memoir? Yeah, speaking of pretension, I was definitely a person who went to grad school and um, went to grad school so that I could write the great American novel, great American literature, and that was really all I wanted to write was something good. Um, and so after I got my MFA, I spent seven years trying to write something good and utterly failing, you know, 500 pages of the worst writing that's ever been done without a finished product. Um, I started probably three or four books in that time. Most of them didn't get to 500 pages like that one did. Uh, and then Nano, Nano came around and I did it. And for the very first time I wrote basically as badly as I could, as quickly as I could. And I finished something. And then when I went back to revise it, it was not good, but it was not as bad as I thought it had been um, because I really believe your voice is your voice is your voice. And even you trying to write badly on a bad day or on the day that you think you're writing the worst thing you've ever written. And then you have a smooth sailing day the next day and it's beautiful. You know that three weeks down the road, it's all the same. It all reads pretty much the same because our voice is our voice. And I learned that through nano. I learned that for me, the only way I can ever put the end on something is if I barrel through and ignore how bad it is and fix it later. If I stop in the middle or somewhere near the beginning, more like it to start fixing things, I'll never, ever, ever finish. Mm -hmm. So, um, it really was, that was in 2006. I first did nano and that was the first book I finished. The first book I sold actually. And, um, and it was this real turning point, this watershed moment in my entire life where it does, it's not just about writing now. When I, when I, when I start other things, I'm so much more, um, I'm so much gentler with myself now, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I know that I'm doing badly and I know that that's okay and things can be fixed later. You know, you, even in things like relationships, if you screw up 
something right now, you can, as providing you didn't shoot somebody or something, but you can, you can work on fixing it and doing it better later. Mm-hmm. Um, it's given me a place not to be, I'm not such a perfectionist as I used to be because I think that perfectionism is one of those things that can really, it's a killer. It stops mm-hmm. so many writers smack dead in their tracks. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, you're, you're tapping into your preaching the choir, I guess, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it, you know, it's funny, like when you, when you maybe haven't finished anything, it, it, it's just this funny thing that happens in your brain where you think like, if I change the and to a the, like that's, that's the difference between the great American novel. And <laughs> yeah, we have no, no idea that it's, there's so much to a story and so much to a book than, than just that. And so that's what we obsess over that perfection. I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh, that sentence is just the worst thing, you know? Right. And, and, and yet what you're talking about voice, it's that, that subconscious, like we've been taking in story our whole life. We've been taking in books our whole life and we've been watching movies and TV and it's there. It's just trusting that voice. Like your voice is going to come out and yeah, it's not going to be perfect. I mean, grammatically and spelling and all that, but, but it's there. Like there's a, there's something there, you know, that we can work with and, and it's just trusting that. And I think nano is just a great place to do that now. Um, so, so that's, that intrigued me when I saw your book because you know, your philosophy is, I mean, with all your books is, is whether it's memoir or fiction or nonfiction is to get that draft out and to write it fast. So, um, so a lot of this interview is gonna be about me and you're going to coach me how to actually do this. It's gonna be a lot, I of, love com- it. A lot of counseling, a lot of excellent. So, so when I, you know, again, my own pretentiousness, I'm, you know, okay, memoir is kind of a big thing. Um, but let's talk through about that because when I say that, yeah, it's a big thing. I've always loved reading memoir, but it's always kind of a, been a big thing. So what's the difference between like a memoir and like biography or autobiography or like, like just so, talk that because it's different, right? It is different. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Biography is the story you tell about another person. Autobiography is the story you tell about yourself and it's your life's story. And you only get one autobiography. <laughs> right. Technically, things have been called different, you know, differently. But uh, Quentin Crisp famously said, um, uh, autobiography is serialized, is a serialized obituary missing the last chapter. <laughs> so, um, you get one of those. It's the story of your life from the time you were born through kindergarten, through high school, through your first marriage, second marriage to death. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, memoir, however, you can have as many as you want. A really, really cool 17 year old could write two or three memoirs and have them legit be memoirs. They need what every other novel needs. Memoirs are completely related to novel and story structure. Um, we need the character arc. We need a narrative arc. We need something to pull us through. And memoirs typically are organized either by slice of uh, time, a time slice out of your life, like the time you climbed Mount Kilimanjaro or the time you quit smoking weed, you know, um, that's, that's a book or you can arrange it thematically. Um, my memoir, a life in stitches is, um, a collection of stories about my life as seen through the sweaters that were on my needles at the time. So what I was knitting and what it meant when my mom was dying, what I was knitting and what it meant when I was getting married, Mm. um, those kind of things. So that's generally how people organize their memoirs. But even when you're looking at a slice of theme, you still want to structure that book so that you have an inciting incident as much as you can make it into. You still have a context shifting midpoint. You still have a dark moment Mm -hmm. in the right places where your reader expects to see and feel them just like they would in a novel, even if they don't know that that's what they're expecting. They are expecting it. So in order to please them, you serve it up to them with that, with that narrative arc. Mm -hmm. What are you, what what are you writing about? Tell me about your memoir. Um, it's an autobiography. Um, <laughs> Perfect. Good, I'm, good. I'm Glad to hear it. Die soon. No. Um, <laughs> um, well, no. So part of the book was actually to figure out there's, there's these pieces in my life, some very traumatic things. Like one of the things um, are, so we have four kids and our second child died after she was four days old. I'm very sorry. And so like, that was like a big moment in our lives, but it's like, yeah. you know, you, you write on that. Um, and I'll get into a little bit of the, the, uh, this is a little, if you haven't read the book yet, you will, but, um, is, uh, you know, when do you write that? You know, when you're just freshly grieving or, and this happened mm-hmm. in 2009. So we're, you know, out of the weeds for a while. Um, so yeah, some of those things and just some other things, you know, that going through kind of end of high school and some very traumatic things that happened, you know, I had some addiction problems and some other things. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, but I think, so as I hear you describing memoir, one of the things that, that I thought of is, couple things. And this is probably what people will think about when they think about memoirs. Like, well, one, my life isn't that interesting. 
Oh, yes, it is. Uh, Every yeah, life is not, interesting. Right. And it's yeah. like, well, I, I'm, I'm talking out loud because this is what I'm going yeah. through. I'm like, nobody yeah. wants to hear about that. I mean, that's happened to a lot of people. You know, what? why is that? So, so talk us through a little bit of that. Like, you know, you're not a well-known person. You know, you're not famous. You're not, you know, who's going to read that? Who's going to care about that? Like, talk us through even when you started maybe some, like your memoir. I'm like, okay. Well, I love this question. I love I it do? because... I love it because it was answered for me in the books that I found myself loving. The, the, of course, none, no title springs to mind right now. Um, but when I was, when I was really getting into memoir, I, I noticed that I was very much drawn to the nobodies. Like, let you know, let's take, let's take a nobody like Cheryl Strayed. When Wilde came out, she was a nobody, nobody, nobody knew her. Um, and the story was about a nobody who was taking a long walk. That's all it was, right? And she, while she was grieving her mother, um, but what she did was she put the absolute specific on the page. And when we put the specific on the page and show exactly what we have and what we're looking at and what we're feeling, um, it becomes universal to all readers. Whereas if you told me, if you Ryan told me, you know, this this uh, this thing happened when I was in high school and it was pretty traumatic and it hurt my feelings and um, I was sad. Nobody cares. But if you put down the actual details of what was said, what your body felt, what was the color of the shoes you were wearing, Mm -hmm. what the color of those shoes meant to you because of what your mom did when she bought the wrong ones, um, the more specific we get, the more universal our stories become, which is counterintuitive, but true. And everyone is now interested um, as you bring us into your world, our own world's are kind of like that reflection to it. And, and there, there become there, there is a connection that is made. Um, so yeah, any, any, I, I swear anybody at the grocery store that you see, I want to read their books, but I want to read them in specific. And a lot of people don't know how to do that. And that's where we start. Yeah. No, that that's, that's really good. Cause I, I, I don't know if you, you might've mentioned it in your own book. I don't remember, but my, I remember my wife and I a couple of years ago, well, a lot of years ago now, it was the guy on um, Oprah who wrote his memoir and he, he found, yeah, found out it was, it was all fake. Yeah, um, I mean, a lot of it was embellished. Like it, yeah. it wasn't all of it fake, but, um, but I remember listening to this guy and, you know, I, I, re- I remember bits and pieces, but one of them was, he's this nobody guy. I mean, it's like, nobody knows who this guy is, but he's on Oprah. Right. And he's talking about how James he's, Fry. James yes, Fry. yes, yeah. that's it. Um, and he's talking about not using um, medication. Like he needed his, his teeth fixed and he was, he's an addict. He had like an addiction problem or something. And he was talking mm-hmm. about how he didn't use any medication, but they had to do like a, you know, his wisdom teeth and all this kind of stuff Then you find out later it's not even true. Um, but as a, maybe as a bad example, but, but at the same time I was just, I was enthralled. I mean, he's like, absolutely everyone was. Yeah. Telling the story, I'm going like, Oh my gosh, like how did he make through that? And you know, what was that like? Um, I think that he was a nobody to you and you didn't care about him, but because he's being specific and relating something very specific to his life, you then connect and you are invested in what he's saying and how that, what the, what the outcome is. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm reading a hillbilly elegy. I don't know if you heard about this. Yeah. 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 And again, this guy's like, I mean, he's a lawyer, he's whatever, but he's not famous. He's famous now for his book, but it's just about his life in, in West Virginia and being a poor kid. And then what was like to get out of that. And educated was the same. My wife just read that. Yeah. Gorgeous. Gorgeous book. Yeah. And you're like, okay, they're not like household, household names. So that's really helpful. So, so those that are listening as far as memoirs go, like, yeah, finding that kind of, resonance that emotion mm-hmm. that time that you know what was really going on not just oh i was sad and you know mm-hmm. and, and what have you um so um so talk a little bit about you you kind of opened your book with just your affection for memoir um and what it's meant to you like why because there is something i mean i want to give people a, a reason to even write their own stuff is to say this is why you need to write a memoir because what is it meant to you because you talk a lot about that in the book i <sighs> Memoir to me is so, um, I trust memoir. So when people like James Fry lie, <laughs> it really pisses me off because that you're, you're letting, you're letting readers down that way. Um, fiction to me is easier to write in a way because I am making that stuff up. I'm making it up out of whole cloth. It's mm-hmm. something that I can imagine. But when you ask me to craft a story out of something that's happened to me, um, I think that's a, just a bigger ask. And therefore, when people open themselves up and show me their hearts and especially show me their broken places and their shame, um, 
I love them. It's not like I like them. Mm -hmm. Suddenly the writer who's on that page, I love them and they are my friend and they don't know who I am. They don't know, you know, they have Mm -hmm. no idea that I'm reading this book, but this two way communication has been opened and it feels real. And that's not to say that I don't love fiction. I love writing fiction Mm -hmm. and I read, I read um, probably 60, 40 memoir to fiction, maybe 50, 50. Um, But memoir has my heart in a way that I think fiction will never have Mm -hmm. just because of that trust that is established. And I believe in that trust, which is why I believe, and I talk a lot about it in the book um, about honoring truth and at the same time, there are lies you're allowed to get away with in memoir. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's that's really interesting yeah. to me. You know, there, there's funny when you're saying that because you know, even like on film, like there's a um, nobody's probably seen it, but there's a Netflix documentary right now, and I'm a Netflix stupid documentary person. Me too. Uh, what is it? But I love the the um, there's there's this one about it's the life of Johnny Cash, and Ooh. but it's a very it's not his it's not his whole life. It's just this one time during um, it, it's how was it during the Nixon. He, he like got in trouble because he was, you know, siding with different people and he was kind of thrown in a, in a, in a box and he didn't like it and he didn't mean uh-huh. to and all, but it was just a slice of life. Like it wasn't his whole, like, here's Johnny Cash when he was born in Arkansas, all the way to, you know, when he died, but it was just this one part of his life. And I never knew that part of his story. And I was like, man, that's, that's pretty heavy. And just him going into prisons and, and, you know, politics and all of that involved and stuff. Um, but I think that's what, what resonates. It's like, it's even those books that are um, not full biographies or autobiographies, but really the something happened during an administration or it was a, a certain, you know, Abraham Lincoln, I read one years ago about his depression. I mean, it was just about that. It wasn't about wow. anything else, you yeah. know, and it was just like all, all focused on that. And I was like, man, this is, this is awesome. Um, so no, I think that that's kind of what, what resonates with us in that human experience. It's because mm-hmm. we all relate to that. I mean, that's why we relate to fiction is because we go, yeah, I've been there. Like I, our family or loss or suffering or the dog died or, you know, what loss a job, whatever it is. Um, you know, that, those are the things that really, really connect with us. Um, now in your, in your book, um, you talk about, um, reasons not to write a memoir. Um, give us a, a couple of, of those reasons not to write a memoir. Reasons not to write a memoir. Um, trying to remember all of them. Uh, one of them is my favorite is, uh, my favorite reason not to write a memoir is please do not write the I'm so awesome memoir. <laughs> yes. Um, this is, and it's really remarkable. So I teach this, um, in the extension program at Stanford. I teach this every, every fall semester and there's usually one guy and he is of a certain age. He's mm-hmm. generally white and he's mm-hmm. generally straight and generally between 70 and 80 and he wants to write about how awesome a fighter pilot he was mm. in one of the wars mm-hmm. and i really love that like i respect the military love the military my this is basically the reflection of my um, father-in-law and i want him to write that story but i do not want him to write the book about how he was an awesome fighter pilot i want mm. him to write the book about how he was a scared second son of a farming family and what and how that made him feel not worthy and, and watching this character arc build into a worthy person who had to get over some kind of inner shame or despair or fear in order to, at the end of the book, become an awesome fighter pilot. If you are just an awesome fighter pilot from the beginning to the end, nobody cares. It's not interesting. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the, you're, most people are not in danger of writing the I'm so awesome memoir. <laughs> well, I just have, <laughs> most- to, I have to shred my manuscript. So that, that's actually the title of the book was How is, Awesome I am, am I? How Awesome <laughs> I Am I? I've always been awesome and I'm getting awesomer. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm not going to read that, Ryan. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, Let's see. Uh, another reason not to write your memoir is um, if you are a little bit too close to something mm. that's very, very, very tragic. If mm. uh, I had, a, I had a woman in my class last fall actually, whose husband had died four months before. Mm, that's and and nice. we actually sat and she was wanting and the and the book that she wanted to write about was their relationship. Mm-hmm. And we sat down and we had this conversation. I you know I said the. I don't know if you can write this. I don't know if you're far enough away from it. And, and my criteria I stole from Mary Carr, who wrote um, the awesome books Lit and Cherry, and she wrote a book uh, about the art of my writing memoir. And she says, if you can't sit down and write it with, you know, without like lying on the floor sobbing every single time, if you can't say what the book is about to 
a stranger without breaking down and into uncontrollable ugly sobs, you are too close to it. Mm. Um, and you should probably wait. It's just not the right time yet. There will be the right time, but it's not the right time yet. If you can write it with tears in your eyes, with occasional crying, fine, that's yeah. fine. But you have to be able to take care of yourself at the same time. And you do need to be able to lift yourself out of it to that 30,000 foot view. Um, it's interesting in memoir that there are there are three of us on the page where we're I, the character, right? The person moving through the memoir. Um, we're also the narrator. So we need to be able to be at that remove at some point to be able to tell our reader what the I character is going through. And we're also the author um, who's controlling the narrator, who's talking about the I person. And, and you have to be kind of in, in enough control of your emotions to put all of that on the page mm-hmm. in a way that is just not a, a flood, uh, you know, a flood hose of, of, of sorrow or grief or anger or whatever the strongest emotion is that you need to be able to step to the side and look at it and describe it, mm-hmm. um, in a, in a logical way. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I, I think that, you know, you're almost hitting on like a perspective too. Like if you're too close to the wound, it, it's hard to kind of step back and go, what did I really learn from this? Or what, what did I really, because ex- if you're, I mean, you, you're not thinking straight. You're not like when we lost our, our daughter, it's like, I'm not going to write that two weeks after and like, oh yeah, this is what I'm learning. Oh my God. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. now, <clears throat> you know, nine, 10 years removed, you go, oh, okay. This is some things that I learned from and This is some things that my wife learned through that. Here's, you know, you have no idea. You're so cloudy. And, um, I really appreciate that part of the book. I was just reading that again recently of just, you know, if your eyes are <laughs> too filled with tears, you know, and you can't even emotionally kind of get through it. It's probably not, you know, maybe wait on that a little bit. Exactly. Um, yeah. I, you know, so, I mean, there's, there's probably a million other, you know, reasons not, not to write, write a memoir, but you know, give us, give us some reasons. Um, you know, especially you have an instant. Oh, but I have one. I just remember, okay, I, just looked, I just looked at the book and there's one more really, really important one. I yep. knew there was an, an important one that I was forgetting. Um, another one that is not good to write, please don't write the, the, I'm so angry memoir and I'm going to punish yes. you memoir. Yes, the yes. one, um, that says if I write my story, then everyone will understand how I was wronged. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two reasons for this. Number one, um, a lot of times we're trying to write that story about someone who's dead, so they're not going to read it anyway. And number two, if you're trying to write that you're so angry and you're so done wrong by someone, even if they're alive and will read it, they will not understand it no matter how well you write it. Um, the only thing you'll do perhaps is to push them farther away. Uh, you will never bring them closer to you. It's just going to make things worse and you never, you can never win that argument. Um, no one is interested. Just like we're not interested in reading and I'm so awesome memoir. We're not interested in reading the I've always been done wrong because what we want to see is how you're broken and, and the shameful places and then to watch you grow out of those places. Mm-hmm. Whereas the I'm so angry memoir has a lot in common with the I'm so awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, meaning like everything's been done wrong. I am always in the right and nobody believes that. Nobody wants to read that. So yeah, sorry. I interrupted you though. No, I think uh, a great example of that is uh, uh, going back to Hillbilly Elegy. Um, there's a few moments in there where he's kind of describing like grandma and grandpa and how they handled conflict. And he does a really kind of respectful job of like, he know he knows they're crazy and the way they hand, like, I mean, it's like, I don't know. Some people might've got killed. I'm not sure, but he, <laughs> um, but he doesn't, he doesn't like throw them under the bus and he doesn't beat them up. He just kind of paints a picture of like, this is how culture was then. And this is yes. how they, they didn't have cops and they didn't have law and they just, they were the law, but he doesn't go like, Oh, those, you know, dumb hillbillies. And you know, I mean, he's kind of in the middle of it. And so, yes. yeah, I think reading a lot of memoir, how people handle that. Cause I, I'm trying to think of another example. I can't think of the top of my head, but um, a couple of ones I've read recently that, that I just go like, yeah, they, they have a, they have reason to be a lot more mad than they are or to throw them under the bus and just kind of so like by showing us what, they, what yeah. they have mad to be about and not telling us I'm so mad. I'm so hurt. I'm so bitter makes us allow, allows us to love them as they are and go, Oh my gosh, you, would be more mad. It's yep. amazing that you're not. It right. it raises them in our estimation of them, right? And it and it doesn't take away the the weight of it or the power right. of it. Um, it almost might lend more to it that this character is able to clearly show us what was real. Like uh, Brian Stevenson wrote a book about the uh, prison system. Um, he's an African American. He has kind of a a nonprofit lawyer. Uh, uh, organization that helps people that are on death row that have been falsely accused. Mm. And he's been doing this for for years. And it's interesting because the way he talks about, I mean, I don't know. I read these stories. I'm just like, how is this happening in our country? How is, you know, how are these people, you know, but he's very objective and very like, just tells the story. Like this is, this is what's going on. This is, but he's not like, you know, everyone's 
needs to die and, you know, and, and our you're not trying system. to manipulate yeah. your emotions, <clears throat> which is really it's allowing you to have your own emotions, right? Yeah. And let the reader, yeah. Let the yeah. reader experience that. No, that's really, really good. Uh, I love that. Um, so here's a question I, I thought of, um, is just as I was kind of thinking through different seasons of my life and stories and, and others that I've, I've read to, um, is how do we make sure that we don't like, I mean, this is almost the same topic, but, um, you know, worry about hurting family. You talk about them in the book, hurting mm-hmm. loved ones. Um, you know, <laughs> Hey mom, I'm writing a book about you and, uh, yeah. you might not talk to me anymore, but you talk, you, you deal with that very well. So, so how do we kind of, you know, we don't want to get sued. We don't want to get like, exactly. you know. these are, these are terrifying <laughs> yeah. things and they actually keep, I'm, I'm going to say most people, most people mm-hmm. who want to write a memoir, they keep most people away from the page, this particular worry, because um, as messed up as our families or pasts are, we always have some love for the people who were there or who are still there. And even if we can't respect them, we don't always want to hurt them. And if you do want to hurt them, not the best time to write a memoir. Mm-hmm. Um, but, <laughs> but the thing you have to do, and it's just one of the hardest things to do ever, you have to write the draft, this first draft of your memoir, as if some people say, as some people write as if everyone is dead. <laughs> that kind of bums me out a little mm-hmm. bit. I don't want everybody mm-hmm. to be dead in my life. Um, but you have to write as if they were. There is no way that um, your book is accidentally going to jump out of your computer and onto the shelves of Barnes and Noble. There is n- there's no possible way of that happening. The only danger you do have, and it is a danger worth mentioning, um, is if you have inquisitive people who might go into your computer and read this memoir in an early draft because they know you might be writing about them. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the point at which you need to either password lock your computer or just that document. Just put a password on that particular document. You definitely don't want anybody to, to read this too early. So what you do is you write it under safe lock and key. You write it exactly as you want to with all of the pain, all of the emotion, really talking in a very real way about the crazy messed up things that your grandfather did, that your dad did, that your mom did, um, the things that broke you as a person and that would break them to hear you talking about. You write them as honestly as you can. And then you do a revision. And then you get into, you have a couple of writing friends to talk to about this. You take a memoir class and you talk some more about how to do this. Mm-hmm. If you are at the point where the book is done, then you can't, you know, and you're thinking about either getting an agent to sell it or self-publishing it. That's the point at which you start to think about how to handle the people that you love. Mm-hmm. Um, you are the ultimate arbiter. You get to say whatever you want. Um, no one can make you change your book. Uh, Anne Lamott famously said, um, well, if you know, people didn't want you to write bad about them, they should have acted better. <laughs> what is not so commonly said is what she said after that, which is um, basically still, we don't want to be jerks. Like don't right. just don't be a jerk just to be a jerk. Yep. Um, what, what a lot of people do is they will excerpt the parts that are about their loved ones and send them to them. In my life, I have three people that I do that with my two sisters and my wife. If I write anything about them, they get ultimate say, and that's my choice. And I've given that to them because, um, they are important enough to me that I'm not ever going to jeopardize a relationship with them by writing something that might hurt them. So they get ultimate say. And so they see it. Usually they just say, I don't care, Rachel, write what you want. That sounds good to me. Um, one time my sister wanted one thing changed. It was, it was like something that didn't matter at all. And she was very serious about it. And I was like, yes, of course I will happily change that. I don't mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, but other people in my life, I, they don't get that say. And that's just something I've chosen. That said, I think the most interesting memoirs and the most believable memoirs is where exactly what you were saying, um, you show what people did and you show your own broken response to that. Mm -hmm. And you don't say, wow, mom was messed up. Wow. Dad was a terrible father. You just show what they did. The things Mm -hmm. that nobody can argue with, you know, like, well, actually dad didn't come home that Christmas. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and you say how perhaps you reacted badly to that. You show yourself, you basically, we want to show ourselves in the most negative critical light um, because it is true. It's how we feel. And it also elicits empathy from the reader and they extrapolate the truth of the situation. Um, the, and the other thing I want to say is that you, <laughs> no matter how much you worry about this particular thing about people that you love reading this book, you're always going to get it wrong. Always, always, always. The people that you think are going to react terribly think it's the best thing that's ever happened. The people that you didn't even write about 
think that you wrote about them negatively and just changed their name and, you know, characteristics, <laughs> even though they did not cross your mind while you were writing it. Uh, Mary Carr, again, like when she was writing that book about her mom and basically talking about mom in all of her brokenness, um, was very nervous about showing it to her mom. And instead, when the book came out, her mom threw a book launch party and invited the entire town and also like screamed out at the party, like, you didn't even put in the time I shot up that wall, you know, <laughs> and, and Mary Carr had expected her mom to disown her. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just, there's just no predicting, but the biggest point is never ever try not to think about them at all and write the truth as bare as, as bare as you can make it in those first drafts. Mm-hmm. Deal with it later. You know, that's, that's really helpful. And I would just say, as I've been doing, is just reading a lot of memoir and just see how yeah. people handle that because yeah. you kind of get a feel like, yeah, I mean, they're not, I mean, if dad walks in and he's got, you know, whiskey bottle in his hand and he's, you know, smashing against the wall and kicking things, kicking the cat, like you don't have to go. And dad was a drunk and he was angry. Like exactly. You, you just know, show you, what happened. Yeah, you go like, oh, oh, I get a feel for this family or exactly. you, know, you know, the way you talk about them interacting with mom or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that, that's really good. Um, and I think that, I think you, you said at the beginning, that's probably my fear and probably most people that are thinking about, Hey, maybe I have a memoir in me is I can't, you know, can I really say those things? Can I really get honest? Can I really, you know, and, and I think going back to even a few minutes ago is don't write out of anger. Don't write out of spite or, you know, condemnation or, you know, I'll get you and I'm going to, put this out to the world and everyone's going to know, you know, never, ever works. Another, another thing that people always ask me about this particular thing, they say, can I change names? And I always say, of course you can change any name that you want, but don't do it when you're writing the first draft, because there's this really weird thing that if you're writing about your cousin Bertha and you call her cousin Tilly, as soon as you start writing about cousin Tilly, she's a fictionalized character. And for me, I found, and I've seen students have this happen. Um, these fictionalized characters begin to act in a fictional way. Write the whole, write the whole book about cousin Bertha using Bertha as the name. And then the, one of the last things you do is a global find and replace and change that name so mm-hmm. that at least you've caught Bertha in who she is. You can also change genders. You can change descriptions. You know, you can call your tall, skinny aunt, your short, fat mm-hmm. uncle. Um, the, 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 and, and it's really easy to disguise friends. It's, you can absolutely do that in memoir. It is not considered lying. Um, the problem we run into is that we usually all have like one birth mother, one birth father. Mm-hmm. I have two sisters. They're going to figure out if I'm talking about a brother that I'm probably right. talking about it. So I have no brothers. My brother, Joe. Wait. <laughs> exactly. They're going to figure that out. Yeah. So friends are easier to disguise later than close, mm-hmm. close family members. But again, deal with that later. Okay. So this leads into a good question because I think um, it could be a terrible question. You shouldn't say it's a good question. It might be the worst (laughs) question ever asked, but part of the book um, is you talk about memories and this is what I was really fascinated with was, you know, okay, I'm 40 years old, you know, memories from when you're 17 or 16 or eight. Um, Two prong question is one, how do you dig up memories? Like how do you find some of those, those kind of stories when maybe when this one thing was happening or this season of life, and then the second thing was you talked also about it's okay if those memories aren't as crystal clear. I mean, you're trying to tell it the best you can, but like it's not lying, but you're, you're, you're embellishing maybe a little bit or maybe it's mm-hmm. fuzzy because Uncle Joe said this happened and Aunt Bertha said this happened. And mm-hmm. you know, how do we kind of cobble together? Because I think that holds, at least holds me back, maybe holds some other Absolutely. people back. Absolutely. Yeah, what do we do with these memories? Like, did it really happen like that? I don't even know. <laughs> like, maybe I shouldn't be as angry. You know, it's, memories are weird things. So talk a little about just mining some of those memories and how we kind of articulate those when we find them. <clears throat> for, for mining them, I get a lot of... Um... I get, I, I get a lot out of what I call kind of wandering. Like I'll take one memory that I have and, 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 uh, and my memory is not good. A lot of, a lot, interestingly, a lot of memoirists and writers don't have very good memories. And I think sometimes that's why we turn to writing in our lives because we're trying to catch our lives as it goes by. Um, but what I'll do is I'll find a little glimmer of a memory and I'll sit down and I'll close my eyes and I'll actually try to place myself in that in that room, like if I'm, uh, if I, you know, I did this with my mom's room once that, you know, I, I was sitting on the edge of the waterbed and like, what is right in front of me? If I were to walk forward and I suddenly remembered her bureau and I remembered that in the top bureau on the left, in the left drawer, there was this mother of pearl hairbrush. And as soon as I saw that hairbrush in my mind, and I hadn't thought about that in, you know, 15 years or more, then I could picture her, how she always turned her head upside down to brush it out. And then it looked crazy when she stood back up. And I, 
again, hadn't thought about that since I was a kid. So we, we kind of wander around in our memories. Um, we start teasing things out. And then and one really interesting that, thing that happens is as you're writing, the actual act of writing memories down kind of opens these little rivulets to trickle in from, from places that you didn't see them coming in. And I'm teaching a class right now and I keep having students saying, I can't believe I'm remembering. I can't believe I forgot this Mm -hmm. and it hasn't come back until I started writing. So you will be impressed with what comes back when you open the memories that you do remember. Basically you, you crack open the memory that you do have and you start to look into its corners to find the other things and and to find the connections. Um, The thing about being able to put on the page um, what happened, many readers wonder this when they're reading memoir, like how are these people writing dialogue that happened when they were seven or when they were 15? None of us, most of us have, do not have a photographic or eidetic memory. We don't have that ability to recall every single word. So um, it is an accepted thing about memoir that, Dialogue especially is recreated as the memoirist remembers it. Um, It is accepted that uh, small details are recreated. Like, you know, you can write about that bright lemon yellow kitchen that you remember your aunt had. It's very possible it was lime green, but nobody cares because you're capturing the truth of it that it was bright. You know, bright lemon, bright lime. It doesn't. It doesn't really matter where the truth is in that. And I have this rule that um, I teach my students, and it's just my rule. It's nobody else's rule, um, but I call it the eighty percent rule. If you are eighty percent sure that somebody in your book would say something in this kind of way, then say it. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you can't exactly remember that argument, you know that it was about your sister's jean shorts, mm-hmm. and you know how your dad reacts to clothing issues on the girls, you can recreate a conversation that probably 80% Mm -hmm. chance happened. I know that when my dad hurts himself physically, when he like nails his thumb, it's 99.9% chance he will say, God bless America, because that's what he says. (laughs) When he hurts himself, he always has. And we have that about the people that we love. We know their turns of phrase. We know when they get frustrated at how they get illogical in this particular way. We can't really say it out loud, but when we start writing the dialogue down, we either know that, yeah, this does sound like what dad would say, or this doesn't. So you make it as true as you possibly can. Um, If people want to see a really great example of how this is done, educated um, is a great example because what she does in that book is she writes all her memories as if they happen exactly that way. And then what she did with her book was after it was written, she asked her uh, siblings. And at the end of most chapters, not all chapters, but at the end of a bunch of her chapters, she'll say, um, he wasn't burned this way. He came down from the hill this way. My brother said that he remembers very clearly that he was thrown off the combine, mm-hmm. you know, and, and she doesn't, she doesn't say, I'm sorry for remembering it wrong. She stands by her memory mm-hmm. and what she has recreated. But she also says, these are the other ways that people in my life remember this happening and they do not match mine. And that is okay. And the nice thing about admitting that you don't remember if something exactly happened this way or not, is that you get added trust. You know, so you can say, you know, this conversation happened this way. And then the next time you say, I don't remember what happened after that. Dad probably went to bed and got drunk or whatever it is. As soon as you say, I don't remember. And dad probably did this. The reader goes, oh, then she really does know what she's talking about for the rest of it. Yep. No, that, I think that's good. I, I've read some stuff where, you know, it's like, I, I think I was seven. I think I was, eight, maybe I was eight. Uh-huh. You know, it's, it's like mm-hmm. even those you know, if he's 65 years old, kind of going like, yeah, I think it was somewhere in there. Like that's, yeah, I think that helps the, the reader go like, oh, okay. I mean, it, again, it's not a detail that you go like, well, was he seven or eight? Like that's going to change everything. You're big liar. <laughs> You're I big can't liar. believe yeah. anything you say. Was he six, yeah. three or six, two? I can't read anymore if that's. It doesn't know. matter. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think, uh, you know, this is interesting. So I was, you know, reading your book, started kind of plotting out some ideas, some memories, some stories. And it's amazing. You, I mean, what you described of like how your, your mind just kind of opens up like, Oh, this thing led to this thing. And I remember this street and I remember this car and I remember, you know, it's, a, it's you're, exciting. there are some weird memories that are just lodged in there that we, we mm-hmm. can tap into. So I don't, I, anyone listening, I don't think there's, you know, any worry to be like, Oh, I, I can't remember my car keys, let alone, you know, what happened when I was eight. It's amazing how, cause we don't, we don't engage those. We have no reason to engage those memories like on a daily basis exactly. until you actually, 
kind of what you were saying, like kind of meditatively, almost like quietly just going like, okay, yeah. Yeah, what, what was on that dresser and, and how did mom talk and how did, you know, what dress was she wearing or, you know, whatever. Yeah. It does start opening up some, some cool stuff. So yeah, thanks for, for sharing that. So, um, so as we get to the end of the interview, I know we have a, a, a short time here is talk, talk real quick about just revision um, because you talk a lot about that in the book and, um, and you, everyone needs to go get the book. I'll put it in the show notes, but um, it's just like you have this big, you know, you're going to write it fast. You're going to outline it out. You're going to get it all on the page. And then what's, what's some just keys when you think about revision? I mean, cause you know, you have so many stories, you have so many things. I mean, are there things that you're just mm-hmm. like, how do we, especially cause it's your own story. Like how do we know what works and what doesn't work? I mean, that's, that's kind of my struggle too. You know, what do we leave in? What do we take out? I mean, how, you know, it's not my, fiction. It's not nonfiction. My biggest, my biggest tip. And yeah, I do. I do love revision. Revision is something that um, if you're, if you, if your listeners are new to writing, revision just seems scary. But mm-hmm. most people, as they keep writing and do revision, most people do start loving revision more than anything else, because I think it is where the magic happens. And revision is when you start asking yourself the big questions. You know, what is my character arc for this book? Perhaps you had an idea when you started writing it. And now you really know that you're done with the book. Mm -hmm. And then you start holding every scene up against that particular arc's movement to see if this scene is holding that up. And so what I really recommend, my my, probably my top tip is after the book is done, um, before you start revising it, kind of skim over the whole book and write a sentence outline of just a few words for each scene. You know, like mom went to the store. Uh, I remember getting bubble gum from the cousin. I, you know, these examples are so boring, Mm -hmm. but, um, but so then you have this list of your entire book, all the scenes, and you can basically read over your whole book in 30 seconds, just by glancing at all of these Mm -hmm. things. That's the point at which you're going to be able to start figuring out like, Oh, I have three scenes about being at the lake. Mm -hmm. I don't need three scenes about being at the lake in memoir, you can collapse memories, um, and make the, bring the strongest one. You can, you can conflate three lake scenes and get a stronger lake scene out of it. That is an allowed thing to do in memoir. And perhaps that's what you want to do. You want to make sure at that point that you can see that there's a midpoint turn, that there is a dark moment. Um, so looking at that list will start help, help you out. I will say, I think it's episode, it's either 106 or 109 of my podcast, How Do You Write? Mm-hmm. Um, it is just, if you could link to it, it's mm-hmm. the revision chapter from that book, from my audio book. So okay. if, even if you don't want to buy Fast Draft right. Memoir, you could listen to everything I know about revision in that. Just always self-promoting. but yeah, Always, okay. I'll, always. I'm going to go sing in my band tonight too. <laughs> Anything else you want to promote? What you have a hair? Uh, no, no, that's really good. I, I, I think it, that's the hardest part is like we love our own story or we love what we're the emotion behind us, but it's like, yeah, how do we not make it this thing that just kind of goes everywhere and, and which is really easy. Yeah. Right. yeah. So, so give us a, just a quick, um, just as we close like marketing. So you've been pr- traditionally published, self-published, r- written some memoir. Um, you know, how do we go about like, we're, n- we're nobody, our story is our story. Like we talked about at the beginning. Okay. We're not famous. You know, what, how do you promote it? I mean, how do you talk about like, Hey, this is my part of my story. I mean, what, what, what would be interesting to someone to even pick that up? For memoir, um, there is a lot to be said about um, writing personnel essays and blogs and getting that kind of out into the world, all directing back to your memoir. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are self-publishing, there is a greater marketing ability in terms of marketing on Amazon and on Facebook. There are just fewer ads around that. So you do have kind of a deeper well to promote to if you're going to spend some money on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, yeah, you just have to be creative and, and keep convincing people that your voice is one that should be heard. And that's just getting out there. Yeah. No, I, I think there is, I mean, be honest, like I have friends that, you know, written some stuff and, and memoir and it's like when they tell their story, it's like, I would buy that. Like, you know, exactly. Yeah. Like, like, Hey, I'm sharing my story about when my daughter died or I'm sharing my story with my you know, my dad died or, you know, exactly. oh, I would totally read that. We're um, humans and we want to relate yeah. to one yeah. another. So yeah, exactly. rely on that. Yeah. Well, Rachel, this has been um, a blessing as always, and it's been way too long. And uh, before we go though, um, everybody needs to get fast draft your memoir, but also what do you have, what are you working on now? What do you have coming out now? And then where can people find you? I have a 911 thriller coming out in August cool. um, from Penguin, uh, my first hardcover. So that's exciting oh, that's and fun. scary. And I think that nobody will probably buy it, but yeah. that's called Stolen Things. And I'm working on trying to sell another thriller. Awesome. Yeah. Well, well, check out Rachel's uh, website too. It, it has all kinds of cool stuff on there. 
you know, if you want to take a course, she'll help you. If you want to read her books, she'll help you enjoy that. And, uh, and also <laughs> I love the way and you're so honest on your blog, which I love. I mean, just, oh, thanks. here's what is to write and it's hard and you know, here's sucks. what I'm learning. Keep going. Yeah, but you're, <laughs> you're awesome. So, well, thanks Rachel. And uh, all right. It's been delightful to talk to you as yeah. always. Keep in touch and tell me how this memoir is going. Yep. I will. It'll be nine years before it's done. So no, it won't. <laughs> I got to fast. I got to fast draft it. You yeah. got to fast draft it. 45 okay. hours. All, all right. right. Take care, thanks. my friend. Bye. Well, there you have it. Prolific writer nation, Rachel Heron, dropping the writerly truth bombs. Thank you, Rachel, for coming on the show. And if you have considered writing a memoir, hopefully you were encouraged, inspired, got some real thoughtful things to chew on. Uh, go check out Rachel's book, 45 Days to a Memoir. And uh, I'll put that in the show notes. Go check it out. It'll help you a ton. I'm already worked through it. I'm already going through it a second time. A lot of great exercises in there to kind of think through how do I think about my story and parts of my life and all that and uh, really good stuff. So thank you, Rachel. You are a blessing and thank you for coming on the show. And uh, hey, just a couple things before we we take off this week. Uh, One thing, thing one, if you will, is hey, if you enjoy this show and you've been hanging around just want to encourage you to go subscribe to the podcast and so yeah go to itunes or stitcher wherever you listen to podcasts and just subscribe because we have episodes coming out most weeks twice a week and i don't want to want you to miss an episode you can also join the vip list and uh, make sure you don't miss anything and all the great writing resources that we're putting out there and all that fun stuff and i'll put that in the show notes as well and also, if you've been enjoying the show, one way you can support this show and also the, the 20 other podcasts on the Project Entertainment Network is through our Patreon page. And if you sign up for at least a, a buck a month, uh, we'll send you some cool stuff, some swag, some stories, some other cool stuff. So check that out as well. Put that in the show notes. And then lastly, please go, if you have a chance, go leave a rating or review on iTunes and uh, wherever you listen to the show. It really helps get the show out in the world. So I'll put that in the show notes as well. Really simple. Just say, hey, like this. Give us an honest review. I can handle it. And uh, hey, and thanks for listening in. Uh, We really love doing this show and helping writers wherever you are on the journey and uh, sharing great authors with you uh, to be inspired and learn from their journey as well and to also find some great books to read. And hopefully all those things are happening. So thanks for all your kind words and comments and emails. Keep them coming. If there's anybody I need to interview, send them my way. I'd love to track them down and stock them as I love to do. See what can, we can get them on the show. Not in a creepy way. Maybe, maybe in a creepy way. I'm kind of creepy. Well, I'm not that creepy, but I I can be creepy. But I got one more thing before we go. Go get those words on the page and I'll talk to you real, real soon. Join us each Wednesday on the Mondo Method Podcast, brought to you by Project Entertainment Network. The Mondo Method Podcast features authors Armand Rosamilia and Chuck Buddha as they discuss the writing process from both the veteran and the novice perspectives. Each episode ends with a segment called Marketing Morsels, where expert publicist Aaron Sweet Almahari teaches everyone how to promote their work and sell more books. Check us out on the Mondo Method Podcast on Project Entertainment Network. This has been an exclusive presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.